Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm chapter 91, verses 1 through 4. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, greetings, friends, and it's a great pleasure for me to be with you again. It's been two and a half years since uh, I've been to IPC, and the last half of that period has been disquieting, to say the least, and uh, downright dreadful for so many people around the world. And on top of the ongoing effects of the pandemic, uh, you as a congregation uh, have recently lost your senior pastor, a person whom you may not have seen even in person for a year or more because of the pandemic, and uh, hardly got a chance to say goodbye to either, I would imagine. And our, the operation of our brains is such that uh, the losses in life that we suffer that lack a satisfying closure are the most difficult losses of all. And so my heart goes out to you. At the same time, I find it greatly reassuring that a highly competent and dedicated council is leading this congregation. And I have complete confidence in the spirit-guided, unanimous decision that uh, the council has agonizingly made for the well-being of IPC. Over in Antalya, Turkey, where I live with my wife, Renata, the St. Paul Cultural Center, a ministry which IPC has supported for nearly 20 years, uh, is up and running again after a lengthy period of closure due to the threat of COVID. The SPCC, as we call it, uh, serves the good of Antalya and the glory of God, and it has done so for as I indicated, over 20 years. And I must add how very special it was to have a delightful group of IPC members uh, come for our 20th anniversary celebration. They greatly enriched our celebration and, uh, and the tour that preceded the celebration. And I'm just so thankful for and to uh, that group of IPC folks for for joining us for that special occasion. This past week, we also broke ground for the building of a new cultural center, uh, Mosaic Cultural Center, which is located right on the uh, edge of uh, the Octaniz, or the Mediterranean University, which is kind of a, the centerpiece of Antalya. And so we're uh, really strategically located there. And if you'd like to learn more about this cultural center, which is due to be opened in October 2022, uh, you can pick up a brochure in the back, or uh, you can go online, www.mosaicontalia.com. However, mosaic is spelled as it is in German, except the Z is where the S goes. And so, uh, M-O-Z-A-I-K-Antalya.com. In any case, uh, I wish to thank you sincerely for your faithful and generous support of this multifaceted ministry 
of the Lord in Antalya, Turkey. This past week, outside of my usually open office window in Antalya, I have observed and heard several episodes of cat and crow interactions out in the garden of our housing complex where we live. Crows have built a a nest, and the female crow has evidently laid her eggs, and apparently these eggs have hatched, and the hungry sounds of the crow chicks have caught the attention of a large black and white cat that roams this complex where we live. And uh, that cat has made several unsuccessful attempts to sneak a peek into that nest. As a distant observer, I can tell that that cat would like nothing more than to sink its claws and teeth into one by one of those crow chicks. But we also know that if that cat were to get within one paw shot of that nest, that crow would have its claws uh, dug into the back of that cat or into the head of that cat, and uh, that cat wouldn't think of doing that again. As for the chicks, the safest, most comforting place for them to be is under the the claw and beak fortified feathered protection of their mother. And uh, they are most secure under the armor of her wings. Well, that mother crow, dear friends, gives us a beautiful image of God. We may not like the thought of ourselves being crow chicks in this case, or as any kind of baby birds for that matter. We may rather like to think of ourselves as independent eagles, you know, soaring through the sky, or hawks flying free and uh, just flowing with creativity and uh, uh, potentiality. But uh, as baby birds? No. But this psalmist, uh, the author of Psalm 91, has good reason to think of God as a mother bird and of God's people as her chicks, comforted and protected in the sanctuary of her underbelly. In the New Testament passage, we encounter a similar but different parental image of God. This one of God as the compassionate father who comforts us, not necessarily apart from, but in the midst of our troubles. And we're going to talk about these passages today in their context. And I should make clear at the outset that the comfort about which we're going to be talking is not necessarily material or physical comfort. Material comforts also come from the goodness of God, but uh, they are transitory, and a person can have an abundance of material comforts in their lives and still be miserable. Uh, And uh, we all know that from experience because... We're still vulnerable to be victimized by unavoidable circumstances in life. So today, we'll be talking about a here and now and forevermore 
comfort, an abiding comfort, or rather, really rather a consolation. A consolation that both redeems and rises above the various circumstances that we face in life. In short, the main idea of this message today is simply this. Consolation overflows under the feathers and in the family of God. Psalm 91 is is carefully positioned in the Psalter. With Psalm 89, book 3 of the Psalter ends, and it ends on a very dismal note. God's covenant with David appears to be in ruins. For the Davidic kingdom, circumstances are at their worst. Downfall has occurred, and captivity looms on the horizon. In Psalm 90, then, it it takes a somber look at the hard realities of life. While at the same time, in Psalm 90, we have a prayer for God to have compassion on his servants, to bless his people even as his righteous judgment cuts short their lives. And after Psalm 89 and Psalm 90, Psalm 91 arrives like a swell of Swiss mountain air. This psalm is, uh, is, is one of my favorites in the whole Psalter. And the psalm's aim is to inspire God's people to have a serene and sincere sincere confidence in him, regardless of how threatening or disconcerting life's circumstances may be. God's presence itself makes all the difference. God is not absent, as our physical senses may at times lead us to believe, but he is with us as a shelter. We rest, as it were, in his shadow. And that word rest is an interesting one here. In Hebrew, that word is lin, and a lin in Hebrew is a stain or a sojourning in a particular place. Geographically, a lin may be staying in an inn for the night, that is an I-N-N for the night, or it, it may be staying in a city for a season of life. Some of you may have established your Lynn in Zurich, thinking that it was going to be for a year or two or perhaps three, and 30 years later, you're still here, resting in this beautiful city. And I can understand why someone might go through that kind of a life trajectory. But here in Psalm 91, verse 1, Lynn has nothing to do with geographical shelter, or security. Rather, it has to do with psychological shelter and security. Or rather, I should say more to the point, relational shelter and security. The words for most high and almighty here in this psalm are Elion and Shaddai, names referring to God's absolute power and authority, And these oft-used names of God give us good reason to trust in him and to rest in him 
and to regard him as our ever-present refuge and fortress. I should add that it is not enough just to trust. Trust in and of itself can be foolish. Uh, We can trust or overly trust in the wrong things with disastrous results. But to entrust your life to the Most High, Almighty God is the pinnacle of prudence. Verse 3 subtly conveys the importance of having God as the object of your trust. In English, we read, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. But in Hebrew, he is emphatic. Surely, he will save you. The verse strongly points to God. But the word from can also be misleading. It's better to rather uh, perhaps read through or in the midst of. Surely, he will save you from essentially life's dangers and diseases. He delivers those who trust in him. Sometimes that deliverance is from the dangers and diseases, but sometimes we've got to go through them. And deliverance is on the other side. Verse 4 continues this line of thought. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. These are wonderful promises. Wonderful promises which indeed encourage us to trust in God's unswerving presence even when material or political or economic or some other kinds of circumstances in life would tempt us to abandon our faith in him or to leave his nest and fly away. We can't move on from this psalm without asking the question, though. How can this psalmist, or we ourselves for that matter, be so sure of God's ultimate protection and salvation when the hard reality is that people around this globe, and even people in wonderful physical material situations, suffer the same or worse dangers and diseases diseases as those who would spurn God and his sovereignty? That's a tough question to deal with. And we encounter it again and again throughout Scripture. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we wrestle with it. However, the rhetoric of this psalm is such that even when this question cannot be satisfactorily answered, Even then, we as God's people are to have steady attitudes of rest in Him, despite whatever turbulence our flight through life brings our way. When we meet the Apostle Paul at the outset of 2 Corinthians, he is still reeling from no small degree of life turbulence. Paul had recently caused a life-threatening riot in Ephesus, 
one of the leading cities in the Mediterranean world at the time. After a three-year residency in that city, a pastoral residency, essentially, he had to flee for his life. Virtually no time for goodbyes. Just like that, his ministry there was brought to an end, and not until years later did he get to go to a neighboring city, Miletus, where he enjoyed a, a tearful farewell with the elders of that church. But most of his fellow believers in Ephesus, he never got a chance to see them again. And so, when we meet Paul at the outset of his writing 2 Corinthians, he is still reeling from, from no uh, small degree of... Uh, trouble in life. In fact, in verses 4 and 5, Paul uses the Greek words thalipsis and pathema. Two words meaning, uh, translated as trouble and suffering. And with those two words, Paul encapsulates the whole gamut of difficulties that we experience in life. Trouble refers to distress or pain that results from any kind of inner or outer circumstances. And suffering refers to misfortune, physical afflictions, and ultimately to death. In sum, as the Apostle Paul begins dictating this marvelous letter, and of all of Paul's epistles, this is one of my favorites, he himself is steeped in troubles and sufferings. I didn't even tell you about the whole package of problems that he has at this point in time with respect to the Corinthian church. But I don't have time to get into that. Even so, what do we find at the beginning of this letter? Virtually the first word of it, grace! Even back then, as is the case today, letters were normally started with greetings. In Greek, karen. But Paul plays off that word and he abides by his own convention and instead of karen, he uses the word karis. Grace. And with just that one word, Paul reconnects, reminds his readers of the forgiveness and the justification and the deliverance that they've experienced in Christ. Deliverance from sin unto everlasting life. And that word coupled with the next noun, peace, carrying with it the Old Testament concept of shalom or comprehensive well-being, Paul pinpoints our greatest need. Our greatest need in life is to have, really, an ever-increasing experience of God's grace and peace in every area of our lives. Day by day, friends, you and I should be praying for a deepening experience of God's grace and peace, not only for ourselves, but also for our loved ones.
Just in verses 2 and 3 at the start of this letter, God is already identified as Father three times. And not just as the Father of Jesus Christ. The implication here is that God's people constitute God's family. And this is as true today as it was when 2 Corinthians or even when Psalm 91 was written. Despite the massive cultural differences between us and the ancient Greeks or Middle Easterners, despite these these massive differences, the unchanging character of God and the abiding nature of his covenant bind us together as God's beloved people who are essentially his children. With the ancient Jewish praise formula in verse 3, Paul couches the theme of 2 Corinthians in a prayer of adoration. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can be so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the main theme of this letter, friends, is the comfort. Or better yet, the consolation. The act of consoling that comes from God in the midst of, in the midst of our afflictions and sufferings. God's unwavering commitment to sustain and to save his people is the source of not only our abiding consolation, but also of our hope-driven endurance in life. And hope-driven endurance, this is really our response. This is our response to the consolation of God. We willingly and even joyfully endure the troubles and the sufferings that come our way, believing that God's purposes are at work. Indeed, God orchestrates and allows us to go through certain kinds of challenging circumstances and experiences, and together, these constitute our schooling in the faith. Even Paul. (laughs) Even Paul had to go through the school of faith in which more progress leads to greater joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, later on in this letter, we read this from the Apostle Paul. He writes, I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God. But God. Who comforts the downcast. Comforted us. So that my joy was greater than ever. We have a marvelous God, friends. Consolation overflows 
under his feathers. Mind you, there may be in his underbelly a murky mystery that we don't like. We human, pe- we human beings tend to gravitate toward the, toward the open daylight of our own understanding, don't we? <laughs> but it's when we, were, when, when we are out in the open daylight of our own understanding that we're most vulnerable to the paw shots of the evil one. And consolation overflows in his family. We may be tempted to complain against some members of his family. Or instead, we may be tempted to keep our distance from people we don't want to have to interact with. But the flow, the flow of comfort, dear brothers and sisters, depends upon the involvement of you and me. Immediately after the first phase of my preparation for this sermon, I happened to spend my few daily minutes on Facebook. And one of the first posts that was on my news feed was a post from the Association of International Congregations of Europe and the Middle East's group, And the post was from Andy Stegner. And he, I thought, uh, very appropriately and very briefly, informed us, his pastoral colleagues, that he had finished cleaning out his study and leaving the IPC office for the last time. And he concluded by saying this, We're not sure what or where is next, but it's always an adventure with us, So we're buckling up and hanging on tight. Jesus and therapy, as the t-shirts say. (laughs) Thought that was clever. Well, my comment to him in response was this. God's comfort to you and Ellie, Andy, as you nestle in the underbelly of God and follow his lead. And then I put in parentheses Psalm 91, verse 4, so that he didn't think I was crazy talking about the underbelly of God. But friends, we can be fully confident that God will be the source of Andy and Ellie's consolation as he is of ours. And we can be confident that God is the director of their schooling of faith, as he is of ours. And we can be confident in our hearts as we entrust the Stegner family to God's tender loving care and to those who are ministering to them and to their needs during this unexpected but necessary transition. And as for us, let us be ever faithful to and ever loving toward our Heavenly Father, remembering that consolation overflows under His feathers 
and in his family. Amen.